Praise God. Well, I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that you, some of you I see have your Bibles and have your eyes open and ready to go. Praise the Lord. You know, the Lord uh, brought us uh, to a place uh, during prayer on Monday night. And we had, uh, you know, uh, quite some time ago, the Lord had, had really had us stay for a while in the first chapter of Colossians. And we really dug into it. And, uh, you know, there are times when God brings us back to a place that we've already been. And one of the worst things you can do is say, I've already heard that and shut off. Because there are things that God wants to remind you of and there are things that are meant to encourage. I've recently discovered it's always good to have friends or people around you that will remind you of things you already know. If you're one of those people that gets annoyed when someone tells you something you already know, you need to change your attitude because really... Some of your best friends are going to be people that are going to tell you what you know, but you're just not thinking, or you're just not really believing at that moment. Uh, you know, a guy who's been a great influence in my life, a pastor, said, he asked the Lord one time, he said, God, you know, I mean, you've said some of the same things to me, you know, through a prophetic word, you know, somebody get, said something to me that I've heard before, I knew that, and uh, he said, you know, you know, why do you keep telling me these things, and and he acknowledged the fact that, that, that uh, you know, God doesn't tell you stuff you're already fully convinced of all the time. I mean, uh, because the Lord said to him, he said, well, I tell you because you don't believe it like you think you believe it. I'm saying this to you because you don't believe it like you think you believe it. You may know it, but you don't believe it like you think you believe it. You see, you notice that God doesn't ever come to you and say, thus says the Lord, you're a boy, not a girl. You are a man, not a woman. Eric doesn't need to know that. He knows that he believes that. He lives his life based on that. Not maybe not based on that, but it's a big part of his life. It's a big part of how he, he lives and how he thinks and how he reacts. He's fully convinced that he's a man. <laughs> All right. We got an amen. Sometimes God says things to us that you may know, but you may not be fully convinced of, or you need to be encouraged or reminded to to believe like you believed at one point, to believe like you've never believed before. There are times where there's things that we've heard and we've heard and we've heard, but you need to hear again to be reminded of. Colossians chapter 1, there's a, a, a great bit here, um, and it's, it starts off with some encouragement, and it goes into a prayer that, that the Apostle Paul has been praying for them. I love how the Apostle Paul does not simply just pray for these people, but in all these letters that he writes, he tells them what he's praying for them. It's not a bad idea. It's not a bad idea to encourage somebody saying, listen, I've been praying for you, and here's what I'm praying. Um, and uh, if you're really praying by the will of God, you're not pr trying to pray your will onto somebody. You know, that's, that's not of God. You're trying to manipulate people through prayer. God doesn't work that way. But if you're truly hearing the Spirit of God and being led by His Spirit and praying in love, then, uh, then it, it sometimes encourages somebody to hear, I'm praying for you, and here's what I'm praying. And this is what the Apostle Paul did in Colossians chapter 1. He speaks of uh, some of the encouragement that he's heard through uh, the reports that have come back to them. The truth has been preached. The gospel's moving and, and active. And then he says, um, one of the things he's heard about, we're going we're gonna to look in verse 8. One of the things that he's heard about is he says, and he has also informed us, Epaphras, the, the bondservant, the, the co-worker and co-laborer in Christ, he says, one of the things he's told us about is your love in the Spirit. He's informed us of your love in the Spirit. 
And because of that love in the Spirit, for this reason also, since the day we've heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you. That's a powerful thing, uh, because so many times we'll tell people, I'm going to pray for you, and, and we'll honor our word. You know, that's the first step is honoring your word. I know it's easy to end a conversation by saying, yeah, I'll pray for you. You know, you need to go, you need to be somewhere. Somebody's, you know, unloading on you, and you go, tell you what, I, I'll be praying for you. But that's really a bad idea is just to leave it at that and not honor that. God hears what you say, and it's really important that when you tell somebody you're going to pray for them, that you pray for them. But we've, uh, we've kind of grown up in a fast food culture where we, we want to get things done quickly, and we just want to get them done and over with and move on. And sometimes we pray for people and because we said we'd pray for them, but we give them like five, ten minutes, and then we move on. The Apostle Paul said, we haven't stopped praying for you. Now, do we think that the Apostle Paul needed to pray more because he, his prayers were a little bit wimpier than ours? He just needed more? No, no. In fact, you know what? Length of prayer, the amount of words doesn't really make the difference. I believe that there's a fervency that he's talking about because Jesus said, you know, don't be like the Gentiles. Don't be like the Gentiles who think that they're going to be heard because they used more words because they prayed a longer prayer. You just you pray a longer prayer, it doesn't mean you're going to be heard. It's just, it could be vain repetition, just useless, just over and over again. There's no more faith in it. So this is not talking about just praying longer prayers. This is a fervency. This is keeping them on their hearts. And it's whenever the Lord would lead them, I believe the Apostle Paul and his friends, his partners, would begin to pray for this church. And he says, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now imagine this for a moment, filled with the knowledge of his will. Not just aware of it, not just have a clue about it, but absolutely filled with the knowledge of his will. The word knowledge here is not simply the word gnosis, which is a word that's used often for knowledge, but it's a word epignosis, which means true knowledge, the real knowledge. Because we realize that this time in, in church history, there was a group called the Gnostics who believed that they had knowledge and they believed that this secret knowledge was what made them separate and better than everybody else and elevated them among, among everybody else. And it was a heresy that was working its way through the church. And so when you real, read the, the New Testament, especially the last few books, you see this term, the true knowledge, the real knowledge. And what's being emphasized is that we're not just talking about studying more and filling your brain with facts about God. Not just memorizing Bible verses. That you can memorize Bible verses and still not even be born again. The Pharisees had more Bible verses memorized than anyone. And yet Jesus was standing in front of them. They didn't recognize the Messiah. Just knowing more than everybody around you is not going to win the battle. Not going not to save the day. He says in this case that you would be filled with the real, the true knowledge of His will. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding. I want you to notice the word spiritual there. That's important, isn't it? This life that we live, this Christian life, it's rewiring your brain. It's totally resetting the way you've thought, the resetting the way you've lived. And it sometimes is frustrating because God is taking you from where you used to be to a totally new place where you think differently, you act differently, you react differently. If you're not willing to be rewired, you're going to be very frustrated. 
If you want to approach this walk with God in the same way that you approached your, your high school finals or the same way that you approached your SATs or whatever. It's not SATs in Canada, is it? It is SATs, of course, yes. I like to think of myself as still young, but apparently I don't even remember what the SATs are. Anyways, <laughs> you're not going to approach it in the same manner where you just say, I'll, I'll use the same the same determination, the same ability that I use to accomplish these things, then I'll, I'll use that same ability, that same determination, that same power of will to accomplish things for God. That won't work. You have to relearn how to think, relearn how to live, and, and God is helping us to do that because Jesus was not just revolutionary, just radical because he preached, uh, you know, that you had to be born again or he, he helped the poor or or even he healed the sick on the Sabbath. The things he did were so revolutionary because he said things like, I don't do anything unless the Father tells me to do it. I don't say anything unless he tells me to say it. I know that, I, that your approval doesn't count for anything as long as he approves of me. It's a total resetting of, of everything you've ever thought. And so here when he says, I want you to be filled. Guys, if you're filled, is there any room for anything else? If that... See, even this bottle of water is not absolutely filled. It's close to full. But I still see room here where air can sit, where, where you can put other things in there. To be filled means there's no room for anything else. Now, as believers, if we feel like sometimes we're wandering around like a blind person with a cane, just trying to feel out what's in front of us. God's desire for you is that you'd be intimately familiar not only with His ways, but his plan for your life. I don't believe that this means that in one moment God wants to download the entire plan of your life, the entire plan for the world, because you couldn't handle that. None of us could. His ways are so much higher that your, your, your mind could not begin to comprehend the, the, the breadth, the width of that. But that we would be filled with the knowledge of him. That we would be filled with the knowledge of his will. And thank God Here's the rest of the prayer. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, when you read this, you might have just subconsciously thrown all these words in the same bowl. Knowledge, wisdom, understanding. They all sound alike, don't they? They're very different. Knowledge is, is, is yes, what you know, what you're aware of. Wisdom is the application of that. Wisdom is saying, okay, this is, I know this, I'm aware of this, I can see this, but God, how do I walk it out? See, God never gave us any of us knowledge just so we could be smarter. God never gave us any of us knowledge so we could be better than somebody else. God didn't give us any knowledge so that we could just be proud of ourselves. God gave you knowledge so that you could put it into action. There's no need for God to tell you something unless he wants you to do something with it. So there's wisdom, spiritual wisdom. If you try to take a spiritual thought that you've received, spiritual revelation, something you received in church, or you were at home reading your Bible, and the Lord opened your eyes to something. You notice it's in the moments of the, that you're in the Spirit, you're, you're tapped into God's presence, that, that you get these great revelations, these moments where you go, I finally get it. You ever had those times? Now, if you step out of that moment, and get back into your old normal thinking and try to apply that knowledge with your old normal thinking, you're headed for a train wreck. It's not going to work. You've got to say just the same way that God revealed it to you, 
you've got to say, God, what do you want me to do with that? Now, some of us have been going to church for so long, but we are so used to hearing sermons all the time. We're so used to learning something new that we sometimes forget that the reason we were, something was revealed to us or uncovered to us was so that we could walk in a new way, that we could come to a different level, that we could act and be transformed by that word. If you just come to church and learn something new so that you can pass it on, that's not enough. You should be able to say this to God. God, you opened my eyes to something I didn't know. You showed me something in a way I'd never heard it before. When I was reading that scripture, somehow I've read that scripture a thousand times, but somehow this time it really made sense. Those moments, don't take them for granted. That's the Holy Spirit uncovering And you've got to do something with that. God never does anything without a purpose. And if that was revealed to you, that was uncovered to you, you better believe there's going to be a moment where it's going to be called for. The best thing you can do is say, God, what do I do with that? best thing you can do on a Sunday after church is to go home at some point and say, God, what do I do with that? Because if you train yourself just to hear and hear and hear and never do, your heart becomes hardened to revelation. Your heart becomes hardened to the Spirit of God. God did not design you for that. It's like eating, 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 and never actually burning any of that off. Never actually moving. What's going to happen? You're going to be bloated. You're not going to feel good. It's, it's not a good experience. And it turns out the people that use what they have tend to be hungry. I got a friend, I got a, I got a friend named Josh. I got a lot of friends named Josh. Thank God. There was a whole generation of people about my age that were named Josh, and they're, they're all really cool people. Uh, but I have a friend named Josh, two friends in, named Josh in Spokane, and one of them, thank God, one of them is, is a real fitness nut. Now, he's also a minister, and so he doesn't let the fitness thing take over his life, but he's, a, he's real good at it. He's real, one of those guys that's got a routine, he follows it every day. And um, I, I'm sure he wouldn't mind me telling you this, and so I watched Josh. He's more in shape than I've ever been in my life. And he's constantly following this routine. But I've eaten with him too. And that guy puts it away. And he's not a big, like, bodybuilding big guy. He's just very lean and trim. And he puts stuff away. He's eating it. He's eating biscuits and gravy. He's eating fried chicken. And he's just putting it away. And I'm like, where, where's this going? And the fact is he just wears it off all the time. He, he burns it off. He uses it. As soon as that, that, that food gets in his body, his body knows to turn that into energy, and he's working out, he's using it, and so he never gets big and bloated, he just, and he's always hungry. The guy can't miss a meal, he's always hungry. And I found that people that hear the word and seek the Lord on how to apply it are always hungry. And they're the ones in church that are on the edge of their seat. They're the ones that are saying, I don't know how, but that spoke to me today. And I, I, you may think, well, you've heard that before, but God shows them new things every time because they're using what they've heard. So there's spiritual wisdom that God wants to give you, and that's how to apply that knowledge that you're filled with. That wisdom says, how do I walk out? How do I do this? Then there's understanding, and understanding is important because understanding will help you discern what is the will of God and what isn't the will of God. Understanding will help you show what's weighty and what's, what's just not worth any time. Understanding will help you weigh out um, what you really should be focusing on, what is the will of God, and what needs to be left alone. He says, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of His will. 
I don't want you to just have a couple of clues in the darkness. I want you to be so sure, so filled with the knowledge of His will, that as you walk, you're confident I'm in the will of God. Now, for those of you who felt that, there's nothing like it. I'm in the will of God. And you know what? When things are going good and you know you're in the will of God, you don't feel guilty for, for being where you are. You just know, oh, thank God I'm in the will of God. When things start to get rough and the storms start to come and the waves start to get bigger, you go, not going to kill me. I'm in the will of God. The Apostle Paul is on a, a ship headed to take him to Rome. And when the storm rages and, and hardened Navy Roman men start to quake and think they're going to die and act like little kids... The Apostle Paul is the only one who has his head on his shoulders and says, we'll be fine. God told me I'm supposed to go to Rome. There's no way I die here. And because he knows he's going to Rome, a violently poisonous snake bites him in the arm. And he is so unconcerned by it that he casually shakes it off in the fire and goes on collecting sticks. Because he's sure, God said I'm going to Rome. So when you're filled with the knowledge of His will, when things are going good, you don't question, should I be on this road? And when things are going bad, you don't say, I, I, I don't know if I'm going to make it through this. I don't know if I should get off. You just press on because you know, I'm going where He told me to go. Now it says this. Be, here's the result of being filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. There's a result. There's a reason for it. Like I said, not just so that you can tell everybody what they're doing right or wrong, not just so that you feel like you're suddenly more important than everybody else. Here's the reason in verse 10. So that. And you know when you hear so that, you know that this is the reason. So that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So what you know is given to you so that you will walk. God doesn't want to give you something, give you some knowledge if you're not going to walk it out. There's no point to it. It's not going to help you. But God gives us knowledge. He fills us with the knowledge of His will so that we'll walk differently, so that we will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. That's pretty cool. That's a, that's a high bar, but thank God. He says so that you will. He doesn't say so that you can try. He doesn't say so that you can give it your best shot. He says you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Thank God. So what does it take for me to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? I've got to be filled with His will. There are a lot of people who want to be good, want to please God, want to do the right thing, but they're doing it all in themselves and they're really failing at it because it's all from them. But a, a man or woman of God who understands that Jesus Christ has already made you worthy and now I'm worthy, so I'm going to walk in a manner that's worthy of the Lord. And How am I going to do that? I'm going to let Him fill me with his, the knowledge of His will. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do, God? Tell me, what, tell me what I should do, what I should say. Man, this would come in handy a lot, doesn't it? When you're in conversations, and you don't know what to say. The best thing you can possibly do is keep your mouth shut until you hear the will of God, until you know the voice of God. So many things are messed up by us just over-talking, us just trying to, to give somebody an answer when we don't have an answer can get awkward. There's these awkward silences where you don't know what to say to somebody. There's times in a service where we just get quiet 
And everybody, you know, somebody's just twitching to just say something because this is a little uncomfortable. But until you know where God wants you to go, don't make a move yet. Now, I'm not talking about being so overcautious that you're afraid to do anything. I'm not talking about waiting on the Lord, hearing His voice, and knowing which way you should go, knowing what you should say. Thank God that's important. Some people are uncomfortable with that. We can, I, I've been uncomfortable with that before, uncomfortable with the silence, uncomfortable with standing still. Brent and I were at a concert one time. It was a popular praise and worship group way back when we were teenagers. And this group was the, the, the going thing at the time. And we were having such a great time. It was more than a concert. It felt like a church service. And all of a sudden, the lead singer says, let's all be quiet before the Lord. We're mostly teenagers, right? So quiet's not a word we're familiar with. But we'll give it a shot. We're all being quiet before the Lord. It's not like five seconds till somebody right like two people behind me goes, I want to know you. And in that moment, that great peace that we had was shattered. And this fellow, I'm, I'm convinced he wants to know the Lord, but here's what happened. I'm sure that this is what happened, is that he became uncomfortable with the silence of the moment of, of somebody being led by the Spirit, truly saying, let's be quiet before the Lord. Let's, him talk, let's let him talk to us. And he got a little uncomfortable and says, somebody's got to say something. I want to know you. And we were thinking, I want to punch you. <laughs> Thank God the love of God constrains us. We did go through a stage as teenagers. Now, we were a little bit harsh, and thank God we're mellowing. The love of God is tempering us, and we, we have grace. And, uh, but we did go through a stage, and Brent will tell you, we went through a stage where we were convinced that, that we would develop a stamp for ushers that said quencher. And, uh, you know, if, if, you, if you got three strikes, you got a stamp on the head, quencher. You know, but that was never serious. All right, let's move on. So that you will walk. In a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects. What does all respects mean to you? Every area, right? It's every part of your life is pleasing the Lord. Do you ever feel like you got this part figured out, but all of this is chaos? Do you ever feel like this area of my life is going well? If I could only live in this area, things are good. But these areas, I don't know what to do. Well, what you need is to hear the voice of God. I can't stress that enough. You need the knowledge of His will in your life. Because here's what happens. We, we start to panic. And I've done this. When things aren't going like we think, we start to panic. And we used to have a sound guy long ago. You don't even remember this. It was when I was a little kid. We used to have a, a sound guy who uh, loved to press buttons. Just loved to press buttons. And things could be going smoothly. Everything's going good. But he got bored. He wants to press a button. We used to, on our old soundboard, we had something called white noise. You familiar with white noise? Then there's something called pink noise. You familiar with that? Worse than white noise. And uh, these buttons were for testing. When no one's in the room, you test how the room is EQ'd, how it's, you know, I mean, how the sound is hitting the walls. It's not meant for humans to hear because it's a torturous sound. It's one of the worst sounds you ever hear in the world. They were duct taped over. Do not touch. But apparently dad wasn't preaching exciting enough. 
And he just, what does that button do? No one's ever told me what this button does. It's because there's never a time in life where you're ever going to need that button. But he pressed it right in the middle of a sermon. Screech! Such a loud screeching noise that women in the audience screamed. (laughs) Not in the spirit, not a good scream, but a terror. There are times in our life where we're either bored or panicking. And we start pressing buttons because we don't know what else to do. That's how things blow up. The hardest thing, now, I understand when, it's, when you're bored to just, and you know, you feel like something's got to change, something's got to happen, to just wait on the Lord and hear His will. But it's sometimes even harder when things all around you are going wrong. Your temptation is just start flipping switches, start doing something. But that is a mistake. The best thing you can do, I know it's crazy, but when things are swirling around you and everything's coming at you, just to stand still for a moment and say, God... I need to hear from you. God, I need to know where I walk. And just before you take another step, don't make a move. Wait on the Lord. The prayer here is that you'd be so filled with the knowledge of His will that every step you know you're taking the right step. Every conversation you know that's a conversation He's ordained. That you're walking in a manner worthy of the Lord because He's the one calling the shots. It says when this happens, you're going to please Him in all respects. Every area of your life is going to be growing. Every area of your life is going to be expanding. Every area of your life is going to be pleasing to God. Now, realize this. You're already pleasing to God through Jesus. But not everything you do is pleasing to God. And this is talking about the output of your life pleasing God. Thank God I know when I stand before the judgment seat of Christ, even though I didn't do everything right, even even though I didn't... I didn't pass every test, even though I made some mistakes. He's going to look at me and see the work of Jesus on the cross, and that's how I'm judged. Thank God. But because of that mercy that I've been shown, because of that grace that I've been given, my desire is that the output of my life, the actions I take, the time I spend, the rest of these years that I have on this planet are going to be pleasing to Him. And it says that when you do this, you'll walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work. You know, there's a lot of things that might seem like good works, but God has not just called you to do nice things. He's called you to bear fruit. And I believe that when you know His will, you'll bear fruit. Do you know that you could just look around you and say, what are some good things I can get involved with in? You could go to the ministerial association and say, what are all the cool things that the churches are doing? I want to help with all of them. And you could be wasting your time. Because if God didn't tell you to do it. Now, I do believe there's a time where you just got to be available. And maybe you don't feel like God told you to shovel the sidewalks of the church. And yet you know it needs to be done, so you do it. Thank God. That's good. But you also have to say there's going to be a lot of doors in front of me, especially when you start getting really excited about Jesus. Here's a clue. Whether you're a teenager or you're a senior citizen, once you get excited about Jesus, totally turned on, there will be people all over the place that want you to get involved in what they're doing. And it was hard for me as a teenager because I just thought every door that was open was from God. Because what do you want me for? You want me to? Oh, oh, yeah, I'll do that. 
And you grow up and you start to realize not every door that's open is a door that was open for you to walk through. And uh, when you really get turned on to Jesus and you totally get on fire and you get excited, there are going to be people that see that and they don't mean anything bad by it. They're not trying to be evil. They're not trying to lead you astray. But they want that with what they're doing. And they want you involved in it. And you'll get phone calls and you'll get emails trying to get you to do everything under the sun. Help us because we need what you got. Well, that's true. They may need what you have, but you may not be the one to bring it. You've just got to say, God, what do I do? And when you do, you start to bear fruit in everything that you're putting your hand to. Remember, a big part of bearing fruit, according to Jesus, the first part is what? Being plugged into the vine. That's the most important thing because the fruit comes from him. The growth comes from Him, the strength, the life. It all comes from Jesus. Everything good in our life is a product of Him. So when we're plugged into Him, things, good things happen. Good things come out. But He says that the Father is the vine dresser. That means He's the one that comes and prunes. And He says that He prunes us, He prunes things in our life, so that we will bear fruit. What does pruning mean? It cut, it's cutting off the things that aren't bearing fruit. It's cutting things out of your life. Now, I used to think... Here's natural logic. If I want to bear more fruit, i got to grow more branches. But what Jesus said is, if you want to bear more fruit, let God cut the branches off that aren't there for you, that aren't bearing fruit, that, are, that you're not supposed to have. Now, when I say you're not supposed to have, some people flinch and you think, oh, is God going to take things away? No, he's going to organize your life. He's going to tell you what you should be involved with, what you shouldn't be. What you should spend your time doing, because your time is valuable. Your life is not your own anymore. You've been bought with a price. It's his time. And so you say, what do, I want, what, do you, what, do I, what do you want me to use this time, this energy, this life that you've given me? What do I use it for? When you do that, I believe you will bear fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So we talked about the knowledge of his will, but the knowledge of God comes by walking with God. When you walk with God, you know God. You can't know God by studying enough about God. You know Him by time with Him. Walking with God, being in His Word, letting His Word be in you and abiding in you, you'll begin to know Him as you walk it out, as you let that Word not just be knowledge to you, but be life to you. And you'll see it in your life that this Word is causing you to, to, to think different, to walk different, to act different, to love different. You're increasing in the knowledge of God Himself. Strengthened with all power. Now remember we said filled up with the knowledge of God, God's will. And when we're filled up, there's room for nothing else. So if I say strengthened with all power, is there any power He's leaving out? Doesn't sound like it, does it? Doesn't sound like God is holding anything back from you. Strengthened with all power. According to his glorious might. Now, according to means in proportion to, right? So God's strength that he gives you is not in proportion to how much strength you need. That's cool. God is not saying, how much do you need? That's how much I'll give you. It doesn't say, according to whatever you need, he'll give you that, that much strength. It says it's in proportion to his glorious might. Isn't that wonderful? It's the same same thing as when he said, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. He doesn't say according to your need, according to how much you need right now. He says he'll supply all your needs according to his riches. So here he says he'll give you strength 
strengthen you on the inside according to His glorious might. I like that. I like that it's not just might, but He calls it glorious might. Man, even the wimpiest of wimps can be the strongest of strong when we're strengthened with His strength. And I've said this before, but can I just reapply this and just pound it in that God's strength is never meant to be a supplement for your strength. And maybe there's many country songs and many sermons and little devotional books that have told you when your strength runs out, begin to rely on His strength. But I'm going to tell you the best thing you can do is not wait till your strength runs out. Rely on His strength from the beginning. His strength is not a supplement, it's a replacement. It's not when, when, when I start to get weak, then he's strong. No, no, no. Yes, I mean, the scripture says, when I'm weak, then he's strong. The best thing you can possibly do is realize in every area he's stronger. So just rely on his strength from the very beginning. Don't wait till you get tired to wait on the Lord. Do you understand that it's like a, a scuba diver? And they put on that tank. They dive down to the depths. Because they've got that tank with them, they are breathing through that apparatus and the oxygen's coming from that tank. Wherever they go, they're breathing. Can you imagine how hard it would be to dive to the depths if you dove, 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 and then you just waited to the last moment till you were going to pass out and then said, oh, I need another hit. And then you took the mouthpiece off and then you tried to dive some more and waited until you were almost unconscious. And then, you know, how hard is that going to be? You're not going to get a lot done. <laughs> you might die. <laughs> That's right. Why not just stay plugged into the vine all the time? Not just come back to the vine when things get tough. Not just come back to the vine when you start to run out of strength. You weren't ever meant to do this on your own strength. God didn't ever call us to stuff that was completely possible. He called us to impossible things. And it says here that we would be strengthened with all Power. Every bit of power he's got, he's offering. According to his glorious might. For the attaining, now what does for mean? That's the purpose. For the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. These are the things that keep you going when everybody else gives up, you're steadfast. When everybody else is on a spiritual roller coaster, you're steadfast. Now I believe that steadfast According to God, he talks about that upward call of Christ Jesus. I believe steadfast to God looks like this. It's angled upward. You're always growing. You're always increasing. But it shouldn't look like this. If I were to look at the calendar of your spiritual life, and I were to zoom in to a week of your life, and I could just see your spiritual growth, it's not a bad thing for them to be tiny spikes on Sunday and Wednesday. But they shouldn't be so dramatic that Sunday and Wednesday night are the only moments in your life you have any spiritual growth. God wants to be with you all the time, constantly growing. He wants to speak to you in your own time, in your own devotional, in conversations and fellowship with other believers throughout the week. And as you're growing, you should, I mean, yeah, it's okay to have a spike here and there and God just, I mean, you get just a spurt of energy and there you go. But it shouldn't be just flatline, 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 spike, flatline, 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 spike, down, spike. Sounds like we're 
playing a game. That shouldn't be your life. Your life is meant to be constantly growing, increasing towards Him. And all of this comes from Him. Thank God we know that if, if we switched back into our trying to accomplish this, our trying to please God in our own strength, we would fail every time. God has made every effort to come to you. And here's what He says. For the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father, who has, is, has, qualifi- has qualified, is that past tense or future or present? Past tense, right? He has qualified us. Doesn't say if you do all this, you'll be qualified. Says He has qualified us. Once you recognize I am qualified because of Jesus, I have been qualified to share in His inheritance then you can freely run, you can freely serve, you can freely live without the burden and the pressure of thinking, if I don't just do one more thing, I'm not going to make it. Here he says he has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. That's pretty cool. The next verse says, we're going to end with this, the next two verses. For he has rescued us You like that image? I don't think that's a quiet image. I don't think that's a wimpy image. When I think of rescue, I think of a a, a rescue mission. I think of a a, a bold and, and, and courageous rescue. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness. Now, what does domain mean? Dominion, lordship, it, it something controlled you. When I was in the domain of darkness, doesn't just mean I was there as a visitor. I was controlled by darkness. My life was defined by darkness. All I knew was darkness and all I could do was darkness. When you were in the domain of darkness, you may have known the right thing, but you never could get there. But then you were rescued. Thank God we were rescued. God didn't leave you in this weird little twilight zone between dark and light where you were rescued from darkness, but you weren't really anywhere else. It says He rescued us from darkness and transferred us. Transferred us to the kingdom. Now, kingdom is a lot like domain, isn't it? Kingdom, there's a ruler. There's reigning. Kingdom means where the king, dom is from the word lord, like to rule. Where the king rules, you have a kingdom. Where the king is in charge, where the king is the boss, there's the kingdom. So he trans- rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us and put us in the kingdom of his beloved son. Praise God. In whom we have, and have is right now, not will someday have, but have right now, redemption, the forgiveness of sins. If you're not excited about the life that God's called you to, you're missing out because this really is the greatest thing that you ever could imagine is this life that God's called us to. If you read the book of Acts and you say, why not me? I wish that was me. Have you ever read it and said, how did they know to do that? How did they know to say that? How did Paul know to turn to that slave girl and cast an evil spirit out? How did Peter and John know that if they told that man to get up, he was going to get up? 
How did they preach those sermons? How did Stephen know that if he preached that sermon in the power of God, that God would someday use that sermon to cause this terrible man to become one of the greatest apostles, the Apostle Paul? How did they know? How did Philip know? If I run after that chariot, God's going to use me. How did all of these people know what to do and where to go? Guys, they were not superhumans. They had doubts like you, fears like you. They had issues like you. Some of them had families like you. What they did was, especially the 12 disciples who later became the, the, the 11 apostles with one added, they had learned throughout their life, and I've said this before, they'd learned throughout their life that when Jesus was with them, wherever he walked, they followed him. And if he said, you go over into this village and you say this, they did it. And he said, if you cast this evil spirit out, it'll leave. And they just did what Jesus said. Peter learned that if Jesus was right there and said, you can come out, that, that he could walk on the water. When Jesus went and said, of course, it's good for you if I go away, for if I go away, I'll send my spirit. They learned to do the exact same thing with the Holy Spirit that they had done with Jesus. Watch him. Follow him. When he says pray for that person, it's just like Jesus was right there with you. You go and you pray. When he says walk on the water, you go and you walk. They weren't superhumans. They were men and women who knew their God. This sounds wonderful, doesn't it? To be filled with the knowledge of his will. Because you may say, I don't even know what I'm supposed to do tomorrow. I don't believe that filled with the knowledge of his will means that there'll be a moment in time, like I said, where God downloads everything, the rest of your life, into your memory. And you suddenly know whatever you're supposed to do, where you're going to go, what you're going to say, who you're going to grow up to be. I believe that it's more like as you walk, you see. As you walk, you know. As you walk into a room, it all of a sudden feels like you've been here before. Maybe you didn't know. Maybe before this moment, you never knew that this was going to happen. But at that moment, you knew what to do. Does everybody here want that? I believe that here's what's required. Once, once again, God's not going to give you anything that you're not going to use. I don't believe it. I believe that, well, I believe he does give us things and we fail to use them. But here's the reason. He doesn't give us anything that we're not supposed to use. If you're really willing to walk as he's called you to walk, he'll give you the tools, he'll equip you. But how is all of this going to come to the church in Colossae? Can you just think back to the beginning of what we started to read? How are they going to get all of this? This all started with a prayer. He said, and I quote, asking. He says, we never cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled. You have not because you've asked not. The qualification for you to be filled here seems very simple to me. They asked for it. In fact, in this case, they didn't even ask for it. Somebody asked on their behalf. You want this? You want this to be a part of your life? Ask God. James said, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Who gives? And he, you know what? 
without reproach. You don't get judged for asking for wisdom. He doesn't say, oh, what a stupid question. No, he gives freely without reproach. And he says the only way you walk away without getting anything is by being double-minded and doubting and really saying, is God really going to answer that prayer? He said, the one who asks must ask with, with faith and not doubt and believe that this is going to happen. He says, the one who doubts is like a reed tossed around, and it says that he, he's, he's, he's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. It says before that, don't let this man think he'll receive anything from God because he is a double-minded man, and he's unstable in all of his ways. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to read this until you're convinced by the Word of God, by the Spirit of God, that this is not just God's will for somebody 2,000 years ago, it's God's will for you, that you would be filled with the knowledge of His will. That, and I, should, I suppose I should clarify this. We believe that the Scripture is the inspired, God-breathed Word of God, right? So when the Apostle Paul prayed this prayer and wrote it down, it was not Paul's wish for that church. It was God's desire for them. If it was God's desire for them, it's God's desire for you because the only difference between you and them was where you live. And God is not a respecter of persons. So I want you to read this until you're convinced you can have every one of those things listed, that that can be your life. And when that faith that comes by hearing the Word of God comes in and you're convinced, I can have this, then you go to God and say, God, I'm going to ask you for what you've already promised. As it says in Ezekiel 36, he says, here's my promises. Now, I'm going to let Israel ask for it. Isn't that wonderful? Here's what I want to do for you. Now, I'll let you ask. Be convinced that this is what God wants for you, then have the guts and the faith to ask. And I believe that He's not a wicked Father, He's a righteous Father. You're not going to ask for a piece of bread, and He's going to give you a stone. You're not going to ask for a fish, and He gives you a serpent. Ask, and you shall receive. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door will be open. Praise God. And when Jesus said that, all three of those words were in the continuous form. Ask and continue to ask. Seek and continue to seek. Knock and continue to knock until that door is open. Now, I don't mean to ask continually in vain repetition. But I mean, don't give up. Just expect that God will do what He says He's going to do. Ask and continue.